Hello, and welcome to the Digital Rookie Podcast. My name is Patrick Quay. This week's episode is particularly special. I'm joined by Jordan Rabinowitz, social media lead from the NBA's Brooklyn Nets. Jordan's role at the Nets comes with a lot of responsibility, particularly within the current political and social landscape. In our chat, we talk about his role in communicating messages of social and racial justice through the team's social platforms. Obviously, this task comes with an abundance of challenges, a consequence of the volatile social landscape globally, but especially in the US. Jordan's ability to run an account that acts as a beacon for change, education, and social reform is unquestionably impressive. He provides a really honest reflection of the NBA's impact on cultural issues from inside the walls of one of their biggest organizations. I would really love to hear your feedback from my discussion with Jordan. Please leave a review as it's greatly appreciated and really helps me out. Likewise, if you have something to say, feel free to reach out to Jordan or myself on LinkedIn. For more content, make sure to follow at Digital Rookie Hub on Instagram or head to my website, digitalrookiehub.com. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts for more and enjoy my chat with Jordan. Alrighty, Jordan, thank you so much for joining me today on the, the Digital Rookie Podcast. And um, yeah, great to have some international guests lately. Yeah, I really appreciate your time. Thank you for having me. I'm so happy to be here. Awesome. Well, uh, let's get stuck into it. So can you just give a bit of an insight into where you got your start in sports marketing and the media industry? Sure. Yeah. So I went to uh, Binghamton University uh, Public School in upstate New York. I had an internship remotely with Bleacher Report. This was back in 2012. That was my first real work experience in the industry. When I graduated college, I simultaneously had a blogging job uh, for this web website called SportsGrid and uh, an internship at Major League Baseball in their publishing department. Uh, that internship became a full-time seasonal position for the 2013 season. Uh, after that season, I moved on to Yahoo for a spell, uh, working at Yahoo Sports, covering the 2014 Winter Olympics in Sochi. Oh, cool. I, yeah, it was, it was, I'm a big Olympic guy, so it was fun for me. I wasn't actually in Sochi, which was nice. I was in uh, Los Angeles. After that, I was working at this college sports blog uh, for a few years. It was called Lost Letterman, fun niche uh, college football, college basketball blog. And after that, found myself back at Bleacher Report, working in programming there and first managing the website, the front page, and then uh, moving into a role that led distribution strategy for pieces of featured content. And then in 2018, I left Bleacher Report and uh, joined the Brooklyn Nets, where I am now as the, uh, the social media lead. Yeah, 100%. And uh, we'll, get, we'll get stuck into uh, your role at the Nets. But I quickly wanted to just uh, refer to your time at Bleacher Report. Can you talk about some of the experience it gave you dealing with producing content to a really large audience and you know, the organizational culture and how that shaped you? Yeah, so Bleacher Report was really... I worked at Major League Baseball and Yahoo and those had bigger audiences, but I was either not working in social media there or those were kind of the nascent days of social where followership wasn't huge. At Bleacher Report, I wasn't in the trenches, but I was working on copy and distribution plans for their social channels and for their app, alert copy, curation copy, website. So 
these were being blasted out to millions of people. And sometimes you, you can't visualize or internalize the size of the audience that you are entertaining on uh, social media and working for a company like Bleacher Report, like a big brand in sports media really got me used to that. Um, you can't see a single face and yet tens, hundreds of thousands of them are reading the copy that you're writing. So it's got to be pristine, no errors, nothing insensitive or offensive, obviously. And I really think that Bleacher Report fostered a forward thinking uh, mentality when it came to social copy and to alert copy and app copy. And I remember when I was there, conversational copy was what was stressed. Write okay. a tweet or a post like you'd write a text to your friend. And try to sound less authoritative and more, hey, we're, we're, we're your friend, Bleacher Report. Here's what just happened uh, in, the, in the news, in the sports world. So uh, really great learning and growing experience for me. Yeah. And so then can you give us an insight into how that transitioned into your role at the Nets? Yeah, that really helped me have several options because I worked on the front page. I worked in creating app copy, alert copy, social copy. So when I was weighing what my next uh, career move would be, this position opened up with the Nets and I thought, Obviously, it would be a really cool, unique experience. And I was fortunate enough that this woman who I'd worked with at Bleacher Report, who had also left Bleacher Report, knew somebody who worked at the Nets, put me in touch with this person who had actually just left the Nets, but helped me get a foot in the door there and had a few interviews for them. Uh, met with the chief marketing officer, the VP of content and creative, uh, a few other folks, and uh, wound up getting the job there. And, you know, I don't think that's a job I get without my experience at Bleach Report. I think, um, you know, it's the big leagues, so to speak. Yeah. And uh, I, I couldn't imagine going in into a job like that cold. Yeah, I think it kind of is another example of the sports industry and how being connected and, and well-networked really allows you to get a foot ahead of everyone else in terms of getting those really yeah, big league roles. And um, I think your experience at Bleach Report dealing with a large amount of people and obviously you've, you've had a lot of experience in sport prior to getting the job at the Nets. I think that obviously lends you in good stead for, for such a big role. It, yeah, I mean, you're right on. I think you have to build up to these to these things. And, you know, you can be whip smart and a great copywriter at a young age. Uh, not to say that people at a young age uh, shouldn't get these roles, but it comes with a lot of weight and responsibility. Yeah, 100%. And um, that's where I want to kind of take our conversation today with the theme of the responsibility that comes with running such a large organization's social outlets. You know, there's a lot of responsibility that comes with that and the messaging and especially in current circumstances with things like the Black Lives Matter movement and the global pandemic, there's a lot of different stakeholders involved. And I'd like to kind of just get your idea on what the NBA's impact on political and social issues is and how you how that plays into your role yeah so it's funny we're taping this 
hours after the Bucks boycotted their game five against the Magic and then the NBA subsequently canceling the rest of the games for the day. Now, you know, reports are that the season hangs in the balance. And this is the world that we live in right now. There is a fundamental problem in the United States and NBA players are on the forefront of fighting for change. And the NBA, to its great credit, fosters its players' ambitions and works with them to achieve their goals of equality and justice. And as a white person, it's my job in my seat to really listen to what the players are saying, listen to what my peers who are black and people of color are saying and absorb their not wisdom but experience and and tap into empathy and use that to gear the strategy from the Brooklyn Nets social channels yeah it's all of the piece that sports and you know, quote unquote politics, this is really more of a human issue than a political issue, but it's not separate anymore. And when you're in a job like this, uh, you need to be socially conscious. It's not enough to rattle off, you know, basketball stats from, from the 90s, you know, to show that you're a huge basketball fan. You have to be socially conscious and understand people and understand the struggle that Black people and and people of color in this country are going through and have gone through um, for 400 plus years. It's a lot, it's a lot of weight. It's a lot of weight, uh, but it's helped me be a better citizen and and person. I've done a lot of anti-racist self-teaching, a lot of reading, and it's helped me become better at my job. And I hope that uh, others who don't have this role are still doing the same, even if uh, it doesn't have anything to do with their job. Yeah, of course. It's a it's a great message. And I think the NBA, in terms of sporting entities in the world, is one of the more progressive and outgoing in terms of willing to make a stand. And the NBA players they have such a big platform internationally to promote these messages, and they do a really good job of it. And so how do you implement that into your social media strategy at the Nets? So we are always keeping an eye on what our players are saying and putting out there. And our job from the team accounts is to both be the voice of the team and the players and the fans. So speaking on that first part in this instance, uh, we want to be a megaphone for the players and, uh, and vice versa. You know, and I think most teams with good social practice do this is drafting off of their players and boosting their players. And that's what we've tried to focus on since this spring in particular is we as an organization have put a statement out. Our owners, our general manager all co-signed it. Our owners recently, yesterday as we speak, put out a plan uh, as to how they are going to help fight for social and racial justice, specifically in Brooklyn, over the next few years. And we're all working in concert with each other as a team and as an organization. So it's it's really just it's listening to the players and boosting their message in any way we can and really letting them steer the message. 
Yeah. Okay. You mentioned, you know, the, the board and, and the larger ownership of the club in your role, obviously, because you're the, you're the voice online for the, the whole organization. How do you go about implementing all the different thoughts and opinions of the wider stakeholders and dealing with the issue that at its core, the Brooklyn Nets are a basketball team. And so balancing the basketball side of, uh, of side of things with the, social justice and and those messages yeah so in my role i have a pretty close relationship with our public relations team and our community relations team and especially over the last few months i have been in meetings and on emails and calls with them pretty regularly about how to shape our messaging uh you know they are also in contact with our general manager ceo ownership group and it's really an organizational team effort that nothing really happens, nothing good happens when people are thinking independently and working in silos. And it's incumbent on someone in my role. And again, I think you would find this across the NBA to, to have those strong relationships with uh, public relations teams and basketball operations teams and making sure that what we're putting on social media is reflective of the team and of the individuals. Yeah. Okay. It's really interesting. I think just because NBA franchises are such large organizations, especially compared to anything that I can relate to in Australia. And so to have a unified kind of message that the whole organization is going for, I I assume there's challenges in trying to formulate that. Yeah. I mean, certainly. And it's not necessarily a challenge in getting everyone to think on the same wavelength. Uh, I think that when it comes to matters of social justice, everybody in this organization is on the same page. It's a a progressive organization. We have a lot of great critical thinkers. The challenges are are healthy. There's a good push-pull and and people challenge each other. And hours before, like the Bucks boycotting is one instance, but of course, when the season went on hiatus due to the pandemic. We had to figure out, you know, unique messaging. Uh, After the murders of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor, we had to figure out what our messaging was. When Kobe and Gianna Bryant died, we had to figure out what our messaging was. When we went to China and, and amid that incident, we had to figure out what our messaging was. So we've been through this, unfortunately, a lot this season. There's no upside to you know some of these more tragic events, but the one you know positive side effect is that it's gotten all of us to be better critical thinkers and better listeners and more uh, empathetic. Yeah, in a more specific sense, what kind of content have you produced? I think because the Nets are such a big organization and have global reach. There's messaging that might make sense to someone in America or someone who lives in Brooklyn, but might have a different meaning for someone like me in Australia. How, how have you gone about managing that? Yeah, I think it always starts at the local level. And when the mass protests started happening in the spring, Barclays Center was a, a hub of a lot of these protests. So our first statement, it was a, you know, it was a text statement and it focused heavily on 
this is happening in this country, in this city, in this borough, on our doorstep. We are cognizant of that. And we are thinking first of the people who we can service in our community. Uh, the election and the census are two huge touch points this fall for us that we want to drive messaging for. And obviously that only applies to people in this country. And more specifically, we're trying to get people in this borough to fill out the census and to, um, and to register to vote. But I think we rely on people like yourself who are in Australia or are many fans in places like the Philippines or Brazil or in Europe that, you know, these are, these are issues for our country right now in this moment in time. But when you're a fan of the Brooklyn Nets, we hope that that resonates with you, even if it isn't a particular issue in your country. And yeah. I know personally, I'm a, a big Liverpool football fan. And they all wore Black Lives Matter on their jerseys and uh, the other Premier League teams did too when they resumed play back in, in the spring. So, yeah. you know, to me that says this, this is, is, a, is a global issue. And we really focus on what's happening in, in Brooklyn and hope that naturally resonates to peop our people and our fans uh, all over the world. Yeah, I think the Nets do a really good job of being a beacon of change and social justice. And I mean, you talk about the Liverpool example, even here with the Aussie Rules League, the last round of games was the Indigenous round. And there's a lot of issues that come up, especially with the Indigenous Australian flag. The rights of the flag are privately owned. And I, per I personally didn't know that. And so, you know, the league wasn't able to use the Indigenous flag in Indigenous round because some guy owns the rights and there's an abundance of issues every second day there's clubs speaking out against racial injustices and death threats and things like this online so yeah the messages that you send definitely resonate internationally yeah I, I i appreciate that i think it's this is the power of sport you know it's it's what i love about working in this field and what i you know what drew me to being a sports fan in the first place so that it's it's just a special communal experience. And that means one thing when you're, you know, watching a game and people are tweeting about it half a world away. But it also means another thing when you're speaking out about protests that are happening right in front of the arena and fans in another hemisphere feel some sort of resonance with that. So it's cool to hear. Yeah, Jordan, this is a really important issue, obviously, and we could talk for a long time about it. But I do have another question that I want to ask you. And I know it's something that you're interested in, in, in terms of the accessibility to the sports industry for young people and the general lack of youth being hired, especially in broadcasting. And so what change is necessary? And what should sports business professionals be doing to like navigate their way into the industry? Yeah, it's it's become kind of a spotlight issue, at least in the US over the last few weeks, as there have been several incidents of broadcasters saying homophobic, racist, misogynist, and I'm covering every base here because every yeah. base I've covered over the last month, saying these, these harmful things. And I'm perplexed because these are rare, coveted jobs, like kids, who you know stopped growing at the age of 13 like I did 
when they know they can't be a professional athlete, they want to be a sports writer or they want to be Al Michaels or the next big sports broadcaster. So to me, it, it doesn't track that for these jobs that are so rare and coveted and that are so public facing. I mean, these jobs are communications jobs. They require yeah. the people who have them to be tactful communicators. So the industry is in a place now where the world is hopefully waking up for good to social and racial injustices. And as it pertains to sports media and sports broadcasting, these microaggressions where someone calls Kansas City the you know, F-word capital of the country, or a broadcaster accidentally types the N-word in a tweet, or another broadcaster says that you know, the players don't like Edmonton because there aren't pretty women there. These things that would have maybe we would have let slide 20 years ago, maybe because we didn't have social media and they wouldn't have gone national and international. Yeah. Uh, we're not letting them slide now. And so I think there's an entrenched class of broadcasters like there is in many other parts of the sports world that's older and whiter and predominantly male. And like any other industry, diversity should never be done for the sake of diversity. What diversity does is it just means that you're hiring the best people for the jobs, regardless of what they look like, what their uh, gender identity is, what their sexual orientation is, what their age is. And it, it makes places better, and not just in sports broadcasting or in sports. And I'll use the Nets broadcast team as an example on, on the Yes Network. Our full-time color analyst is uh, Sarah Kustak, who played college basketball at DePaul. And I don't know if she was the first or one of the first women full-time color analysts in the NBA. Great. Uh, and, and Yes wins all sorts of awards. I mean, they're regarded around the league as one of the best broadcast teams in the NBA, and she is damn good at her job. And think about just like you're losing 50% of your hiring crop if you're not hiring women. If yeah. you're not hiring black people, you're losing X percent. If you're not hiring any, any person of color. And, and I feel like it's incumbent, especially on uh, NBA broadcast teams to know the sport that they're covering. It, it, it's like inconceivable to me that someone in that role could even come close to sympathizing with the all lives matter sect of this country. It, it's just, it, it's hard for me to even get in that mind yeah. space. So bringing it back to like hiring practices and what young people can do, I think tenacity is uh, the only way forward and um, putting yourself out there. And if you're a writer, like keep writing, even if it's just for fun, just to keep your skills honed. If you're a broadcaster, tape yourself. I mean, these are all traditional tactics. I do think it's incumbent on companies too and the places who hire for these roles to really catalyze a, uh, a sea change. Mm. And not to say we need to like yank off every old white guy who has a broadcasting job. I mean, there are a lot of great ones working, obviously. But I think, you know, and hopefully in 10, 15 years, the industry looks a lot different and you're not going to get people making these you know, quote unquote mistakes, because 
they they know better and yeah. they might be of this race or gender or group that was once the subject of these vitriolic statements. Yeah. It's a great point you make. And I think even just from a point of view that the, the world is changing so much in time of such change socially, but also technologically and digitally, these older broadcasters, you know, nothing against them, but they probably don't have the understanding of the communications of the time and, and what's required sometimes just because of their age and the time that they grew up in. And you look at a lot of younger people now that are, that are a lot more skilled in that area and would suit these roles where you have to be good at resonating with all types of people and not just, not just certain demographics. Yeah. I I hope change comes soon. And I hope the people who are uh, in charge of those decisions and matters commit to diversity in broadcasting and in sports media because it's it's essential yeah jordan thank you so much for you know providing some great insight into your role and some of the challenges and um you know really sharing your opinion on these things i really appreciate it and uh yeah thanks so much yeah thank you so much i was so happy to do this thank you for listening to the digital rookie podcast I really hope you enjoyed my chat with Jordan and hopefully got some interesting insight from his experiences working in such an important role. I'd like to reiterate my thanks to Jordan, not only for being so generous with his time, but also for sharing his opinions and advice on what is a really relevant and important topic. Like I mentioned at the start of the podcast, feel free to connect with Jordan or myself on LinkedIn. You can find links to both our profiles in the description below. You can also find links to my Instagram. I'd love your support on there as well as the link to my website, digitalrookiehub.com. To stay up to date with the podcast, make sure to click that subscribe button on Apple Podcasts. I have some really awesome episodes lined up, so you won't want to miss them. I really appreciate all the support on the podcast lately. I'm really enjoying producing this type of content, so make sure to get connected on all platforms to keep listening. Thanks so much and catch you on the next episode.